Hello and welcome to 100% Hits Volume Pod, the podcast that looks at the greatest compilation of CDs that this country's ever produced, the 100% Hits compilation of CDs. My name is Joshua and this week, very special guest. You may know him from his band, The Vega Bodegas. You may know him from founding the running group, The Running Punks. Please welcome into your ears. It's Jimmy Watkins, everyone. Yay. Yeah. Hello. Hello. How you, how you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks. I'm That's a bit good. sweaty. I'm a bit sweaty and panicky now, though. Now, for the listeners, what's happened is just before we went to record, I, I said, are you, are you right with the songs? And he goes, yep, yep, yep. And then uh, we, we've discovered <laughs> we're... we're there's been a miscommunication, and I thought we were talking about one set of songs, and Jimmy thought we were talking about another. Yeah, that's fine. It's kind of like my time in Future the Left, really. Oh, yeah, you, you know? were in that band. <laughs> yeah, I got the wrong set list. That's what's happened. That's fine. I'll improvise. So we're talking volume 10, site A. So mm. this is, this came out at the end of 1993. How old, how old are you, Jimmy? How old am I now? Yeah. Or how I'm old were you then? I'm 39 now, so I was 11. 11 years. So great time for this kind of music. Yeah, like music in supermarkets. Yes, exactly. Yeah, whatever was played on the radio, whatever you were spoon-fed. Yeah, and I, I, I just remember seeing albums in supermarkets. I don't know if they suddenly appeared overnight, but it was around about 93, 94. Yeah, you know? we, we didn't, we didn't, in Australia, we don't have the albums in supermarket stuff. In supermarkets, okay, that's... What, what we had, what we had was... Really bad DVDs for some reason. Okay, okay. At the checkout, just an impulse buy that you might be able to just pick up a copy of The Devil Wears Prada or something like that. <laughs> we have we had proper dedicated like top forty album yeah. albums in in uh, in supermarkets. We got vinyl in supermarkets now. See, I think that's the difference between our cultures. You guys really value music and think it could be just something that you can pick up while you get your eggs and your milk. And we're like, no, yeah. no, you've got to go to a special shop if you want to get music. <laughs> yeah, you just you can get bread, you can make an omelette and listen to Michael Jackson album at the yeah. same time. So at 11 years old, what kind of, what kind of music were you listening to? Um, whatever my dad was playing at that stage, I think. Um, I got into music. I very clearly remember it was 1996 when I oh. bought my first my first album and really got into music. So 93 was definitely listening to like wherever my dad was blasting in the house. Yeah. What was the first album that you bought? First album I bought was, well, technically it was a best of Jimi Hendrix cassette. Yep. But like I, I was given the money for that. The first album I saved up and bought was Everything Must Go by the Manic Street Preachers because I'm Welsh. And you right. have to. Yeah. 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 That was the first album I bought. Um, and it changed my life. That really did change my life. Well, we're going to talk about the first album I bought in yes. this episode. Cool. Yeah. All right. I love that. We're going to kick this off then. This is great because you don't know what songs these are. This is fantastic. I haven't got a clue. It's like being teleported back in time. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> when you make a compilation, you need a, a, a big song to kick it off. Okay, yeah. if you ever made one for someone, you need to have a big song just just so they have like they want to play it. And on volume 10, they've done this with a little man called Meatloaf and his song, <laughs> I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that.
There we go. We'll pause it there. Wow. What do you think, Jimmy? That, I've I've never heard that intro before. That was some of it. Like the guitars reminded me of Bowie in the nineties. Nice. I, I'm sure you know, go like, with that. Yeah. Yeah, the squealing guitars and was it like it was a, definitely a tempo change and maybe a key change? Didn't yeah. see that coming. Starting with the chorus. Track. Not many yeah. songs start with the chorus. I think that's like. Do you know what? That's interesting. You say that because. For ages in my old band, we tried to write a song and start with a chorus. Yep. And it just always felt ridiculous. It was kind of like going into someone's house, then knocking the door when you're already in there. If, yeah. It's like a, a, straight, a weird way to introduce yourself. So fair play to him. So this was the first single from his comeback album, Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. That's what the album's called. <laughs> Love it. Uh, it's also got Lorraine Crosby on there. We didn't get to Lorraine Crosby singing. She's okay. featured on the last six verses. La- what? The, the last <laughs> six verses. Can you imagine being, getting a call? Do you want to come and feature on my song? And you've got well, six verses. Well, this is what happened. So she's not credited as Lorraine Crosby on there. I had to do some digging to get that. She's credited as Mrs. Loud on the album. <laughs> she doesn't appear in the video. In the video, it's... a. Uh, Dana Patrick is lip-syncing Lorraine's lyrics. And when they went on to promote it, he had the singer Patty Russo on there. And so she was just going through the studio and asked to drop what she thought was just like, just some tracking vocals. And then like a couple of months later, they rang her up and said, do you mind if we uh, actually use these? And she received no royalties for the song. That, what, that is scandalous. When's the Netflix documentary coming out about her? I know. And these are some other people they wanted to have uh, do the uh, Tyler lyrics. Cher, Melissa Etheridge, and Bonnie Tyler. Wow, Welsh girl, yeah. Bonnie Tyler. I know. Well, Bonnie Tyler uh, is friends with uh, Crosby. And she said that he was really naughty. And uh, mm. he, he, she should have he made her a part of the song. That that was Bonnie Tyler's take on it, yeah. Definitely. That six verses. Six verses. <laughs> Do you know what? I just read uh, a review on Pitchfork for the new JID album, JID album, and they said it lost marks because so many of the songs had three verses on it, and it was too long. Oh, yeah, it was like what? You know, like apparently, like three verses in hip hop is too much, and there's this thing about oh, rap, some rappers are bringing back the third verse, and they were saying oh, JID has just brought back the third verse too many times. She sang six verses. Do they forget that Monster's the best hip hop song ever written, and it's got like six people doing verses on it? That's exactly. Yeah. Um, this was number one in twenty-eight countries. Uh, it was uh, UK's best-selling single of ninety-three. Okay, so you would have heard this easily in the playground. The film clip. Yeah. 
directed <laughs> directed by Michael Bay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. This is ridiculous. Um, this monkey's growing. And in- the, f- the film, because there's always wow. been talk about what was the thing he wouldn't do. Yeah. The film clip suggests that it's in the film where he's a vampire and he won't bite the woman and turn her into a vampire as well. That's the thing he won't do for love. So the one thing he won't do is be a decent vampire. He won't do his job. Which is, I think, like, if you're being a vampire, it's not that bad a a life. You literally got one job, bite in people. Yeah. And you live, (laughs) you're immortal. You just live. Like... And he couldn't even do that. So his woman he wants to spend the rest of his life with, he's like, oh, yeah, not the rest, though. That's, that's going a bit far. <laughs> he, he can't commit. The vampire who can't commit. Um, so Meatloaf, he passed away this year, but he's known for being a bit kooky. I think we can say kooky. Uh, yeah. His autobiography claims uh, a lot of stuff, which we can't really verify. One of them was that because he, he, he grew up in Dallas – he was in Dallas the day Kennedy got shot, and he says in his thing that that day he was driving along, his car got commandeered by a Secret Service agent and told him to get out, and they took his car and didn't tell him why. They just drove off with his car to try and get to uh, the Kennedy. The end of the six. They had to get to the end of the six verse in a car. Like, how long is this song? Six verses. We need a car to get to the end. Twelve. So he's just, yeah. He's just seeing this stuff. He's just making stuff up. Well, we can't we can't tell. Like, also, he says he he met Charles Manson, uh, and Charles Manson read his fortune and said that Meatloaf will be successful, but it doesn't matter because the world's going to end anyway. That's <laughs> we can't verify wow. that. Yeah. Uh, one thing we can verify is that he almost got in a fight with Prince Andrew on TV. Uh, a show called It's a Royal Knockout, where members of the royal family were playing It's a Knockout against celebrities, and Meatloaf was one of the celebrities. And he jokingly went to push uh, Andrew in the moat, and Prince Andrew said, you can't touch me, I'm royalty. And that made him want to do it even more. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> uh, he collected rubber ducks. That was his thing. That's, that's what he collected, and fans would bring him rubber ducks. Uh, he hated Greta Thunberg. Like, <laughs> Why just a 70-year-old man having a fight with a 16-year-old. Insane. Oh, God. Uh, and do you know the, the Hartleford football team? This was his football team he supported, Hartleford. I don't know much oh. about them, but this is the no. reason he supported them. Because he heard that they once tried to hang a monkey because they believed it was a French man. Oh, yeah, that's, I know that. They thought it was a spy. Yeah. They thought this monkey, <laughs> so they hung a spy. There's a house near me called the hung monkey and there's a there's um a painting of a monkey being hung on the front door well that's that was his football it's, team and he almost moved so- there <laughs> off the back of that story <laughs> oh but, i i wish i knew all this about meatloaf honestly this uh, is this has changed the way i just changed the way i want to talk about my own life now meatloaf is most famous in this country though in 2011 he uh performed at our afl grand final so australian rules football uh Every year gets a big artist to come out and perform at halftime. And uh, he was the performer that year. And look, let's just say it didn't go well. Do you know this? Have you heard about no. this? All right, no. I'm going to play it. Um, you, 
we go. We're still obsessed with Meatloaf's grand final performance. What's he doing though? What is he on a ride or something? It sounds like he's on a ride. No, he's standing on a on a platform on a stage. <laughs> it's in the grandstand, but it's kind of he, he's on he's on his own bit. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was. The what makes it worse as well is we play it during the day, Jimmy. So it's a yeah. daytime gig. Oh which my! Never great. Yeah, and yeah, he's he's just there. It's. It was one of the greatest things. It was it was in 2011, so Twitter was kind of relatively new, but it was the thing yeah. that that brought us all together on Twitter. Just going, what is going on with this this thing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he reckons he was having trouble with the inner ear uh, monitors, and um, they didn't give him enough time to uh, like rehearse and stuff. Oh uh, yeah, it totally sounds like it's not his fault. It yeah. sounds like someone. Yeah, that. Yeah, when I hear it, I was like, "That's not his fault." Amazingly, all the other musicians and backing singers were fine. It was just his. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's just him. It's, yeah. yeah, but it wasn't his fault. No. All right, moving on. That's that's all we need to say about I think Meatloaf and I do. Do you like Meatloaf. that song then? Is that the song you like? You like I, that? I like that song. I think it's it's. I wouldn't listen to it, but it's it's. <laughs> It's got that's the only place. thing you can do with it. That's the only thing you can do with a song. That's I like uh, I like that cake, but I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like I like what it stands for. I like the theatrics of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I like it. I like it. Why not? Good. All right. Moving on. This is a band right. I've talked about in the past. I'll be very quiet in this one. And this is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So their song, Soul to Squeeze. <laughs>
The Red Chili Peppers sold a squeeze. Now, I've been on record as saying I hate the Red Chili Peppers. Right, really. okay. <laughs> really. Good on you. But, this, I, look, I don't mind this song, but I because I, I've been listening to forced to listen to them. I think what it is, I just don't like Anthony Kiedis. That's all. Everyone else in the band, I'm happy with. Okay, you just don't like him. Yeah. So this was originally a B-side for um, Under the Bridge. Ah, then... It sounds a lot like Under the Bridge. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was then used in the film Coneheads, and everyone liked it so much, so they released it as a single. So it was recorded back in 91 for Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic, but didn't make the cut. Right. Okay. Okay. I've never heard that song before. That's the first time I've heard it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. are, are you a fan of the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Um... I just find them cold. I like for a band who sings so much about a hot part of the world, their music is so cold. <laughs> it's, it's like there's no feeling in it. I just, I just, yeah, the guitar playing is like it's good. Yep. But there's no feeling in it. It's just, I don't know. I don't I, get it. I, I, I agree. I think, yeah, there is something off about them. I look, I don't know. I, can, <laughs> I, I like think that. this is the thing. So, Anthony Kiedis is very good looking. I admit he's very good looking. And I think when you're very good looking, you can get away with stuff. I think you can get away with having dog shit lyrics because people are like, oh, yeah, that's cool because I'm just going to stare into your, your eyes, Anthony. Uh, yeah. The fact they didn't know that this was a good song and they just put it on the B-side and it wasn't until people went, no, that's a good song. And then they think, tells me a little bit about, I don't know, maybe they don't know what makes them good as well. I don't know. Uh, but this is what they were originally called as well. Because the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I'll, I'll go on record as saying, dumb band name, okay? And Terrible that's fine. band name. You can yeah. have dumb band names, that's fine, okay? The Beatles is a dumb band name, okay? But they were originally called Tony Flo and the Majestic Masters of Mayhem. Tony Flo yep. and the Majestic Masters of Mayhem. Yeah, Majestic Masters. And this was what their first, this is what the band was. It was Keita's rapping and reciting poetry while the other members just improvised on the spot. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Do you think they'd be as big as they are now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if they continued being Tony Flo and the Majestic Masters of Mayhem? No, I don't. No <laughs> chance. No chance. But... I don't know. That's that's a very bizarre band name. But so is Red Hot Chili Peppers. I know. well, band names are hard. You, how many bands have you been in? Um, four. And four? how many? How many have you had a hand in naming? Um, two. So you have got the Vega Bodegas. Yeah, and Strange News from Another Star. <laughs> <laughs> so I found I found it easier to name my kid than a band. Yeah, I, I've been in uh, two bands. One was called The Plurals. That's a good band name. Well, it was around the time, it was like 2004, like no, 2003, four when all those, like the Strokes, the Libertines, the car, all those plural names were coming out. And so uh, yeah. we thought, oh, we'll just be The Plurals. And then <laughs> and they, me and my mate were in a band together. We never played any gigs. We just recorded some music. And we called ourselves Rap Dance Cool Party. <laughs> That's really good. Rap dance. I'm writing that down. Rap dance cool why. party. Because we just thought, like, it was a funny thing that dads, I had a theory that dads can't say rap dance properly. They put yeah, the emphasis right. all rap dance and they kind of just hover around. I thought that would be a good name for a, for a band. Just <laughs> so dads couldn't say it. 
Um, rap dance cool party. Rap dance cool party. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. That's. I've always like. Has anybody ever called a band free beer? Yes, there is in in Melbourne. There is a band. There's also another band called Private Function, which I think is very that funny. Is cool. Where they put that up on the on the marquee that no one wants to come. They've got an excuse why no one's turning up to their gigs. That is cool. It's really hard to name a band. Like it almost it would make more sense for you to play some gigs with no name it, and then just get the audience to decide what you're called. I did really, and I think the older you get, the more you realize. Okay, I love it, but it's it is a bit silly that we're we're going to a room to play music for people. Yeah. As a concept, if you overthink it, you're like, this is... And then to give yourself a, a band name like you're a gang, it's all... Yeah. It's all oh, man, that's, that's exactly what the Vega Bodegas was. We thought it was like a cool gang name. And, it, and then you think, we're all nearly 40. We've all got kids. What are we doing? Yeah. Why, are we do, why are we doing this? I've, I've gone through a phase recently where I find any photo of a man playing guitar really cringe. I don't know why. I oh. just look... It's just like, oh, no, just, that's not cool anymore. I, I, what am I going to do? Jimmy, I used to play comedy songs up until <laughs> 2017. I was 36 playing comedy songs. I had to stop. I had to, couldn't look my kid in the eye and say, I'm leaving the house to go and play some songs that I wrote to make people laugh. Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I just couldn't do it anymore. Nah, I, did right. a comedy so- I did a comedy song in ukulele once. Let's, let's talk about that. How was that? It was bad. It was bad. It was at the no, uh, not even like an open mic thing. It was just uh, a thing in Cardiff, and I was asked to do a set, and I did a song about being a Tesco self-service machine on a ukulele, and I, I put the ukulele in a guitar case, and I thought it'd be funny when I opened a guitar case and pulled the ukulele up, but like no, nobody laughed. That was the end of my comedy career. I also played ukulele songs. Uh, it, was, it was it was a time. It was a time in 20, uh, 2010, 2009. Yeah, uh, I think this was, this was then. This was yeah. 2010, yeah. So I had on my set, because uh, for an hour show, I had like my main guitar, which was my uh, Epiphone Jumbo. I think you can maybe see it. There it is. Uh, oh, yeah, beautiful. And then I have a, a mini Martin, so a mini one, which is, and then I also had a ukulele. So they had three different sizes on the stage. It looked cool. And then I just, I only did it for that reason. And then I had to pick up a <laughs> ukulele and play it. All right. Oh. Moving on to a band that I don't think have ukulele in them. Uh, but who knows? Who knows what these these wacky oh. guys would do? This is Radiohead and their first ever single. This is Creep. My video's gone for some reason as well. Yeah, I've, you, you pause. That's all right. I can hear you. That's cool.
Well, that's Creep by Radiohead. I've heard that before. You've, yes, yes. That's, I know that one. <laughs> that's quite a popular song. Yes. Uh, so uh, this is the debut single written by the band, plus songwriting credits to Mike Hazelwood and Albert Hammond, who is uh, Strokes guitarist dad, Albert Hammond Jr.'s dad. Uh, no. Yeah, because I they, did not know that. Yeah, well, they it was some legal action because they actually said, "Oh, yeah, we got it from uh, one of their songs." I can't remember what the song is off the top of my head. Um, but anyway, you can look it up. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, they kind of said, "Oh, yeah, we kind of." We're playing around with that song and made it our own, and so they received a small, small percentage of uh, royalties. Uh, and the Hazelwood camp were very ha- happy with it. Going, oh yeah, they were honest, so we'll give them a small percent. But then in 2018, uh, Lana Del Rey, uh, her track "Get Free" shared similarities to "Creep." I think the same chord structure, and. Yeah. EMI and Warner Chapel Music, I think it was, uh, asked for 100% royalties for the song. Uh, off 100%. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and they denied that it was Radiohead asking for it. They said, oh, no, this is the, the record label asking for it. And then uh, Lana Del Rey went to Twitter after, like a few months later and said, that's all settled now. I can play it whenever I want. So didn't disclose how much of the percent they're uh, giving. Wow. But and it wasn't updated on the database of who the composers and authors or publishers are. So not sure wow. what's happened there unless Radiohead's gone, hey, just let us sing the song. We understand. There's only yeah, that many right. chords you can play. And this song only yeah. has four chords. Yeah. It's got, uh, there were like a lot, a lot of songs at that time that relied on like uh, a chord progression. Do you mean to kind of pull the song along? And I think Creep was a bit different. It stood out from the rest because... Yeah. You know the, the ones the ones I thought I was listening to. The one that comes to mind is "What's Up" by Four Non Blondes, which is like the same three chords all the way through, and it gets really tiresome. Yes, but Radiohead managed to make it like really exciting. I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it shows that like Johnny Greenwood and that are really good musicians. That the, even with the same four chords, they make it exciting still and kind of yeah. add to it. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not the biggest Radiohead fan. I like Radiohead, but my favorite album of theirs is Kid A. Um, is it? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I'm I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. But I used to make myself cry in front of a mirror listening to this song. That's why I laughed as soon as it came on because I remembered I used to sing it in a mirror and make myself cry on, on lunch breaks. Well, this is I don't know. The, the first time. So I was like 12 years old when this kind of came out. And it was yeah. the first time like a song in the charts. It was kind of a bit sad and morose that I remember being, oh, songs can be like that. Like, not like a sad ballad. But a bit, yeah. there's a bit more to it that makes you feel sad. Although now this is kind of like it's it's a it's used as a kind of a joke for how to make white people cry. The, yeah, uh, yeah. The late comedian Patrice O'Neill has a has a good bit on uh, YouTube. You can look it up about white people's reactions to this song. Like he goes, you can just play this song and they kind of look wistfully off in the distance. There's something about this song that just does something to white people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. That's so true. I, 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 was, I was late getting into it because I, I probably listened to this song after buying OK Computer. That was yep. the first Radiohead album I bought. So I would have been quite old crying to this. I would have been nearly 18 probably. That That's... came out in 97. So, no, you would have been still. Oh, uh, yeah, 15. Yeah. 15. Perf- That's oh, fine. Perfect age to be in your room crying to songs. Right. It wasn't even the room. It was in the hallway. I like to do it by the front. I like to cry by the front door, like a danger cry. Anybody can come in, the butcher, the milkman. Wait till your parents come home so you cry. Yeah, what's the matter? What are you doing? It's this song. It makes white people cry. <laughs> um, also, 
the band said the success of this song meant that EMI uh, kind of gave them more freedom to do whatever they wanted with the bands. Ah, and, right. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so, because uh, they really dis- disliked this song. They just didn't mm. see why it was so popular, um, yeah. which must be hard as a band to go, oh, we don't like this song, but everyone's screaming for it every single time we play in America. Like in America, apparently people would just go crazy. And in that first kind of, when they were going over their touring, they'd just scream for it, they'd play it. And then most of the people would let, not most, but a lot of people would leave the gigs and go, all right, we've heard what we want to hear. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. That's awful. Um, and so when the record label came in to listen to the bands, they wanted, they wanted another creep. And so they played them My Iron Lung, which in it has the lines. This is our new song, just like the last one, a total waste of time. <laughs> is that, I don't remember that lyric. That's, yeah. Whoa, yeah. that's mad. Ah, oh, fair play to them. Yeah. I almost found the lyric strange, like on, on Creep. Um, uh, you look like, an, uh, I felt like an angel and I couldn't look you in the eye. That's if I saw an angel, the first thing I would do is try and stare it out. <laughs> I would just stare it out. Anything, anything heavenly in my house, I would try and stare it out. You know? Yeah. You, people say you look, you look death in the eye. Why wouldn't you look the opposite in the eye? An angel, just stare it out. Get out your room. I'd be looking at the halo. <laughs> just go. Wow, well, what is that? Is it actually substance? <laughs> what is it? Can I touch it? <laughs> All right, we're gonna move on now. This is a band. I don't reckon you would have, you would know this band. This is an Australian band. Yeah. They're called the Cruel Sea. Do you know the Cruel nah, Sea? Never right. heard of them. Well, this is let's go. They're from their massive, massive album in this country called "The Honeymoon Is Over." This is their cover of the Tony Joe White song "Woman with Soul." Okay. Yeah. This is good. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? That, yeah, that's so good. <laughs> that is great. That I, like whole, it. I, I think you should listen to the whole album. It's a very, very good album. The honeymoon is over by the Cruel Sea. Yeah, that's so good. It kind of it very Tupelo, Red Right Hand, Nick Cave vibes. Yes, very much so. They 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 toured together a lot, the Cruel Sea ah. and uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, but in '93, it was all it was all about the Cruel Sea. They were they were our biggest biggest band. Uh, Toured with Iggy and the Stooges, uh, toured with a lot of huge buzz. They were getting lots of buzz from overseas. Uh, Tex Perkins is their lead singer, also very charismatic man, very good-looking man. Uh, he uh, went over, he was flown over to New York where he was invited to go see Saturday Night Live by the record label and the band on were Nirvana. They were the band on that night. Wow. 
so he was in the hallways at uh, 30 Rock, and uh, the, as he was walking through, he could see the Red Hot Chili Peppers hanging out, Sonic Youth were hanging out, and he saw Courtney Love fussing over Kurt Cobain, and he Tex Perkins went, nah, this is this is not right, this is not for me, this is not what I want to want to be doing. And he really? just, he left and went home and watched Twilight Zone Marathon on TV. Went back to his wow. hotel. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Tex well, Perkins, what a guy. Yeah. Well, he said, well, six months later, uh, Kurt uh, was dead and he said he, he just got a vibe that something was off there and he didn't want to be a yeah. part of it. Yeah. And he also said, once you get to the top of the mountain, the only way is down. Yeah. yeah. I like Tex Perkins. He's very wise. That comes across in his voice. Yeah. I thought when I first heard it, this is a wise man singing. Yeah. And his, yeah. Well, two episodes ago, I talked about how they got in a fight at, we have this thing in this country called the Arias, a bit like the Brit Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they won a whole bunch of awards uh, in, 93, in 94, but it was for 93. And uh, he got in a fight uh, backstage because someone uh, tried to like pull his girlfriend's hair. Uh, and so he got in a fight. And our Aria Awards are very pointy. They're like just big... <laughs> triangles like yeah an a and uh he didn't use it as a weapon luckily uh because it could absolutely do some damage but uh he got two of them were stolen and i jokingly said that diesel who was up for three stole one of them well listeners and jimmy i can tell you (laughs) diesel did not steal them uh because what happened was i didn't i only found this out the other day that uh a couple of days later someone would sent photos of the stolen arias to our radio station here triple j offering to give them back to tex if tex perkins would turn up to the house naked (laughs) (laughs) tex said you can keep them it's fine i I love the the difference between my country and yours like we had Meatloaf pushing a prince in a moat. Yes, and you you've got rock stars being asked to turn up the houses naked in Australia, and we we've got like all this royal bollocks. It's great. Yeah. Part part of the also the demands was that um they wanted James Crookshank to be reinstated in the band. Now James Crookshank was a, a musician in the band. Uh, he was still in the band. He just didn't go to the Arias because he was in hospital. He just got out of hospital because he was in a car accident because he was driving under the influence of heroin, and had gone <laughs> straight back to using heroin. And so Tex and the rest of the band decided, hey, maybe don't come to the Aria party. Uh, <laughs> so he was still in the band. And so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, oh, spoiled, they spoiled the Rolling Stones as well yeah. uh, that year. And they got the real uh, support band treatment. You would have been a support band. Yeah. Who, who's, the, who's the biggest band you've been support band for? Um, oh, let's have a thing. Uh, maybe... Like the AJJ, there used to be Andrew Jackson Jihad. Oh, yeah. We did an Ameri- we did American tour with them, and yeah, they they were big. They were big, and it was it was them and Jeff Rosenstock and Future oh, of the Left. Great. Were they nice so, to you? Really nice. Really right. nice. Yeah. So, um, apparently, the Rolling yeah. Stones aren't that nice to people. They I don't can really. I, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can imagine that. We did Ross Kilda Festival with Future Left when Rolling Stones were playing. And there was something, I might be getting this wrong, but there's something where we had to literally hire every bit of backline, like a keyboard stand, and pay for it. I, and apparently yeah. it was all going towards the Rolling Stones. It was yeah. all part, so they could get paid. I don't know. Like, and a few people said that, and I, it would not surprise me. I don't understand all. that way of thinking if you're the main band. Just let people use all, 
Let them use the whole sound system. Let them use all the lights. It's fine. If you're good enough, and yeah. you're, the, you're the Rolling Stones, for fuck's sake. Anyway, uh, so... They are a terrible band, though. They're the worst band in the world, in my opinion, <laughs> ever. Worse than Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> That's because, I'm not agree with that. But So, um, <laughs> Tex, Tex was... The Cruel Sea were on stage. The, the joke was that they'd start the band before they'd even open the gates. And so... But they signed on. They knew that they were opening band for the Rolling Stones. People weren't there for them. Um, so, people were coming in and... The band just did what they wanted to do. Uh, but Tex would go on uh, and at the end he'd go, hey, don't go home, ladies and gentlemen. There's another band on after us. Stick around, stick around. <laughs> Which <laughs> Apparently words trickled down from the management that, hey, stop doing that. Uh, <laughs> but, but he didn't stop. And so one night he also said at the end of the gig, hey, ladies and gentlemen, up next, the Beatles. And so... Uh, <laughs> I love Tex. Is he is he still about? Is he he's on still about? Media? Yeah, he's still he's. I don't know if he's on social media, but he's still about. He's still doing music. He's very good. Uh, but oh. backstage, they had this place called the Voodoo Lounge. That's what the, the backstage area, and they had Daytona there. And uh, the Cruel Sea were just on the game Daytona, the the car game, and Mick Jagger strutted in. And obviously, once a tour, they go and they meet the support act and this was their chance and he goes oh and Mick came in he said he kind of entered like a politician and uh, said oh Daytona <laughs> do you fancy a race and Tex went fuck yeah and absolutely destroyed Mick Jagger in Daytona but he said I had to stop being as good to let him catch up because I felt really bad for him because he was so bad at Daytona and then he said he also watched uh, uh, Ronnie and Keith play a game of um, pool and uh he said Ronnie was pretty good. Keith was terrible. And uh, he felt bad for watching him going, oh, there's nothing worse than when you're being bad at something and other people are watching. So he had to walk away from watching Keith Richards play really bad pool. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's so good. Yeah, great. All right. Now, this is another Australian band. Yeah. Not with the history of uh, The Cruel Sea. This is uh, a one-album-and-done band. This is a band called Caligula. And another cover, though, this is a cover of the Smokey Robinson song, Tears of a Clown. This is, as we've established on the show already, my friend Ryan Petterwood from high school, his favourite song of all time, according to him in high school. This is Tears of a Clown by Caligula. There we go. Tears of a Clown, written about Jimmy Watkins in his hallway as an 11-year-old listening to a creep by Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, that's all about me. What, what do you think uh, of that, Jimmy? It kind of, you know what? I, I, at the start, I was thinking, this is not good. That, that piano and strings combo is not good. Then when it all kicked in, it was 
sounded like the same chord progression as Smells Like Teen Spirit. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot like Smells Like Teen Spirit, but yeah. And it reminded me of, I don't know if you're allowed to like this band anymore because the singer turned out to be a dick. Uh, reminded me of one of my favourite bands back in the day with the Vines, Australian band. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would say, yeah, that, that's very similar sounding. Yeah, yeah, singing and yeah, when it was all kicking in, it was like, yeah, oh, this this has got big vines energy to it. That yeah, I would say also very similar, not similar careers, but similar kind of like a lot of buzz for the first yeah. album, not so much yeah. for the rest of the vine stuff. Yeah, although I preferred the second album. I was did that Garage sec- Days? Is that the second no, album? Was that yeah? It was highly evolved, and then oh, what's the second one called? It had like oh. Animal Machine, a song they call Animal oh, okay. Machine, yep. which I used to listen to before races. Um, but yeah, and I, I saw them when Heidi Evolved came out, and it, it was like one of the best gigs I've ever seen. Still, I, still, I, it was just, yeah. I saw them very early on as well. But this is how I described it. Do you know how every high school there's a band, and yeah. there's one musician who's great, and the rest are just kids playing music. Yeah. When I saw them, that's what I thought the vines were. I thought Craig Nichols was great. Yeah. Uh, really enigmatic and just giving it all. And the band were just kind of like playing around him. And then yeah, ha- totally. And then I, I realised, oh, because they're like on eggshells going, is he going to be okay? Like it just must be going out every night just going, okay, hopefully we get through the gig. Hopefully yeah. he doesn't start jumping into the drum kit and call everyone sheep. <laughs> Because the, the second time I saw them, they walked off stage after 20 minutes in Bristol. Oh. It was a shocker from start to finish. It was like, oh, this is painful. And it was only a year ago that I'd seen them and they blew me away. A, a year later, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I was glad when they walked off stage. It's like, thank you. Thank you. I'm going home. I'm going home and I'm never listening to you again. So I went and saw Ryan Adams. Speaking of people who now have been cancelled and I won't listen to again. But uh, <laughs> yeah. he didn't have a support act. And just played, it was like a three and a half hour gig. And in the first half, he didn't say anything to the audience. Like, just played his songs, <laughs> didn't say anything. And then, look, I'm not suggesting what he did in, in the break, but he came out and he was a lot chattier, Jimmy. So, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> just these long rambles in between songs. And he, I remember his bass player, like, she was standing there and just sat down on the ground. She was just like, I'm, and you could tell she was like, I just want to get really? off. Yeah. I just, oh, but it was God. that thing of like, it went from, because it was also way, way back before I drove and it was on the other side of town. So I had to get public transport back or pay that extra for a taxi. I'm like, oh, it's either I can just jump on the train and get back home or pay like 80 bucks for a taxi. Yeah. And there were moments where I was going, is this worth 80 bucks? Nah, I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to go. <laughs> And then he'd play an amazing song. I'm like, no, I'm going to stick around. This is the best thing I've ever seen. And then 20 minutes of just rambling, just him stop starting songs and me going, oh, I should have have left. Yeah, you should have left. You definitely should have left a Ryan Adams concert. Definitely. Um, Oh, also for the Caliglia, I should say, I was a bit hard on them last time. I had a few listeners say, actually, no, they were very, very cool. Okay. Because me and Charlie Pickering kind of laughed at the sound of them uh, last time. So I want to say, sorry, in 93... In 94, they were cool. And also, the band got back together post-lockdowns. Uh, post they wow. got back together and they're doing gigs in September. So, there you go. That's cool. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. They got, they've released they five got new songs. Energy. Yep. They've they got five, five new songs. Five new songs over on Spotify if you want to go listen to them. No. There you go. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. I will, I will. Moving on, this is a band. Kind of a big band. Never really did much for me, but this is Stone Temple oh. Pilots and their song, Plush. I just hear that type of singing. I hate this so much. This that is why I was so this is uh, so positive about the Red Hot Chili Peppers this time because I knew there was another song coming up that I had to had to hold on, <laughs> hold on. That Red Hot Chili Peppers song, yeah, that Red Hot Chili Peppers song is so much better than that. Yes, so much better than that. Oh, that's horrible though. I'm I'm with you. This type of singing never did anything for me, and it was everyone no. trying to copy Eddie better. And I'm sure Scott Whelan, sorry, I'm sure that was his natural singing voice, and he wasn't copying. Uh, rest in peace. But for me, it was just like, uh, I can't deal with so many people singing in the back of their throat. Yeah, I know. I know. That's when do you decide to start singing like that? Oh, when you're copying someone. Yeah. It's just such a weird, weird thing to do with your voice. Yeah. So this, uh, the band in 94 Rolling Stone magazine had a poll and they were both voted simultaneously best new band by the readers and worst yeah. new band by the magazine's music critics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Which I think today what would happen was, because this is the state of magazines, they wouldn't put out the critics' worst. If they won the music poll for most popular, the magazine would go, all right, we're just going to have to talk about these guys because it's going to get us sales. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. That's brilliant. So that that shows the distance between the people writing the magazine and the people buying it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, look, I like I said, I've never been a fan of this band. the The most they've been in my radar is when Pavement sang about them in their song "Range Life." Oh, Uh, do they? Yeah. So they talk about um, the smashing going on tour with Smashing Pumpkins. Um, yeah. And saying, yeah, they don't give a fuck. And then they also so, say, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, they're elegant bachelors. They're foxy to me. Are they foxy to you? I will agree they deserve absolutely nothing, nothing more than me. <laughs> Which That's clever. That's a yeah, clever diss. It, in indie rock, that's as, that was as far as our beefs went, I think. I think hip hop did and rap did beefs way better than, than guys with the guitars. Yeah, it's because like indie bands know they're going to bump into the other bands without security. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not going to have security around you in, in an indie band. Hip-hop band, you probably will. Yeah. And I, I don't think Steve Malkmus would be able to fight the members of Stone Temple Pilots either. <laughs> Even the band name sounds a lot harder. Yeah. Like Stone Temple Pilots versus a pavement. <laughs> yeah, the pilots are going to win. The Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. 
Uh, that's a horrible song though. That's yeah. just not not for me. We're, we're going to move on now. This I've talked about this band uh, in a previous episode, saying how they pretty much changed my life. This is the Lemonheads and their song, which is also a cover, "Into Your Arms" from "Come On Feel the Lemonheads." That's oh yeah, that's that really one. nice. It is, yeah, nice, I really it? like that. Yeah. So sweet and innocent sounding. Yeah, so that's the thing. So when I was like 12, 13 years old, when this was out, it was the choice between Stone Temple Pilots and Lemonheads, really, like of what oh. kind of person I was. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm way more upbeat than the other stuff. I'm not going to yeah. pretend I'm, I'm depressed and and sad. <laughs> No, that's there's such a difference in sound between those two songs. Yeah. It's kind of hard to believe that it's made with the same instrument as well. Do you know when you hear them yes. next to each other like that? It's like, that's the same setup, pretty much. It's the same setup. What? Uh, so this is a cover of the Australian band The Love Positions, with uh, written by Robin Sinclair and Nick Dalton, who was also one-time member of the Lemonheads, was in the band as well. And uh, Nick Dalton and Tom Morgan uh, wrote songs together and... Evan Dando loved their songs and would quite often cover them for Lemonhead songs and also had the boys in the band as well. Uh, this was number one on the Billboard Rock sh- charts for nine weeks. Wow. Yeah. So that's Whoa. not the main charts, but just the, the rock charts. Nine weeks. That's a, wow. that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, around this time, though, Evan Dando, much like uh, Scott Wheeland who, in Stone Temple Pilots, was having a, a few issues. Uh, yeah. he, d- he did a fair bit of a press tour without a voice. Um, and he lost it from smoking crack, which he was very honest about as well. He just had he had a notepad, and they'd say, "Oh, how'd you lose your voice?" And you just hold up smoking crack, and some people thought he was joking, and some people were like, "Really?" And he, yeah, yeah, that's that's really what I did. Uh, around this time, he uh, had had quite a quite a event in Sydney where he uh, took acid and uh, ecstasy and all this kind of stuff, and. Uh, for some reason just went, no, I've got to go home. And home was in, in America and just got a taxi to go to the airport and something happened in the taxi. He had a bit of an episode. And next thing you know, there was five uh, police officers around him, arresting him. And he, his response was, Hey, let me retrace my steps. So I know where I left my mind. (laughs) That's a great response. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, So this was, this album uh, came out in 93. Uh, So it's a shame about Ray. 91 such a classic album uh this album was like had that thing where back then your your album after your big album probably sold more off the back of 
the big album. Although it's a shame that Ray is probably considered a better album, even though this has got some really good stuff on it. Uh, then in 96, also have a few issues. Uh, he was booed off stage uh, of Glastonbury. Uh, no, he was yeah, he? Yeah, he, he arrived two hours late. And this oh, was enough. his excuse. Uh, sorry, I was in bed with a supermodel, another woman and a bag of heroin. <laughs> he's got the best excuses. <laughs> he's got the best. I love that he's he's never like making up making up stories. He's just the oh, I'll just be very honest with you. Um, <laughs> and look, heroin is not a laughing matter. We should no, put that out there. But a bag of it is. But and this is his other thing. There was a time he he thought he was overdosing, um, and he was like kind of had to move but he had to get get up off the couch because as he was shooting the heroin he was also watching spinal tap on dvd and he was like i have to get it out i can't be watching spinal tap when i die oh my god i can't laugh because you just said heroin's not a laughing matter but... no but we can yeah. okay he, he's very yeah, honest okay. about it um, okay but i'm allowed to laugh i laugh because that is funny yeah you can't die watching spinal tap come on now Evan Dando has a bit of the um, meatloafs about him as well with some of his stories that he just says that we can't really verify. So he says he's got super luck, like so much luck. Um, he said the first time he went fishing, he caught a thousand pound black marlin in the first five hours. And people say they go five years without seeing a fish that big, but he caught one. And also he says he's only played golf three times in his life, but he got a hole in one. <laughs> That's like Trump I level. I know being funny though, but when you said super luck, I was expecting like I just win the lottery for fun. He caught a fish and had a hole in one. Yeah, that's like that's not super luck. It's not. That's just like luck. That's luck. I, I got su- super luck. Well, he also survived not overdosing. There you go. That's super luck. That's that's his super luck. Yeah, he survived the bag of heroin. Definitely, that's his super luck. Yeah, uh, but look, an enigmatic front man. That's what that's what you want. Yeah, I've got a Lemonheads album, but I've never listened to it, so I will oh. listen to it. Oh, which one? Uh, Shame about Ray. Oh, classic album. Yeah, it's... yeah, I've never listened to it. Oh, if you have got twenty eight minutes, I think that's all it goes for. You've, you're in I for a treat. Do. Yeah, I'll take it for a run. Uh, I said last night it was the first album I ever bought with my own money. So that was your first album, was it? Wow, it's a shame about Ray. Yeah, because of the Mrs. Robinson um, cover they do on it. <clears throat> I liked that yeah. song as a kid, and then the rest of the album was amazing and got me into different types of music. Instead of going down the path of your, your Red Hot Chili Peppers and Metallica, like everyone else in my town, I went into yeah. like the Lemonheads, Pavement, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Beautiful. I like that. All right. Another Australian band. This is In Excess and their song, The Gift. Yeah, I like this. I love this song. Yeah. Good. 
I could play the whole thing. Now that's oh my word! Yes, you know, like at the start, I said what I was listening to was what my dad was playing. Yeah, that's what my dad was playing. My dad's obsessed with that song, and ah, I will admit I've never heard that song before. What? I've never really gone into the NXS. Oh, they're amazing! They're amazing. I'm gonna have to because I really do like that song, and it's out of out of everything we've listened to so far. That's by far the best song, I think. Well, I. It's so badass. It it sounds like it could be released today as well. Yeah, yeah. Like this is from t- almost what thirty years ago. Yeah, that's that's that you're spot on. That could come out now. Yeah, but this is my. That's thing with- so good. It could be a Coldplay song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that that put some emojis in the title. Have you seen how they've done that with their last album? Oh, like, I, I've, yeah. I've defended Coldplay. I look. I don't think they're as bad as everyone kind of slags them off to be. But mm. to fact the name songs emojis is like okay that's just how how that's you writing just... that on the set list so you're drawing that on the set list you must have caught <laughs> something else um I for me in excess we're, it's a bit like Star Wars like I'm that yeah. age bracket where by the time I was into that kind of stuff they were like ten years old and a bit on the outer a bit daggy yeah and I think. Um, this was the the beginning of the kind of like in excess dropping off the mountain as Tex per- Perkins talks about. Yeah, yeah. So they just had I... like Kick was huge. Whatever the album was after that was huge, and this one was from the album Full Moon Dirty Hearts, which I don't I don't hear anyone talk about as an album. I can't. Even, oh look, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, I don't remember that one. Yeah, I do not remember that. What? So, what was my dad listening to? It's probably like a best of or something. Yeah, it must have been a best of because that song was on in. That's that's booted in. That is such a good song. Yeah. Um. So this was a year after Michael Hutchins, uh, lead singer of In Excess, was in a bike accident, uh, where he fell, hit his head, and he lost his sense of smell and taste. Wow. Have, have you had Have you had COVID? If you don't mind me asking. Yes. Did you lose yeah, your I sense have. of smell? <laughs> How dare you ask? Well, uh, some people I had, very, yeah. I was absolutely fine when I had it. I only know I had it because I had to take a test for work. Yeah. Um, but the morning that I had a negative test, I'd done a ten mile run and I was absolutely fine. So, well, um, I, I haven't, I haven't had it yet. But I hear that people, what? when they lose their smell, it really is very annoying. Yeah, I've lost, I've lost my sense of smell before. I don't know why, but I have, and it is, it's kind of like. Having a blocked, having your ears blocked, but for your face. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you can't take the world in properly. And no sense of taste would be, like, so frustrating. Food yeah. is one of life's joys. And to not be able to taste stuff would be so boring every single time. <laughs> it would. What would you do? Like, would you just get your kicks out of burning yourself with food? Well, well Michael Hutchins got his kicks out of doing other stuff we established oh, yeah, later did. on. Yeah. yeah, he did, yeah. But, so, mm-hmm. he lost his sense of taste, sense of smell, and also the band members say that it actually affected his personality a lot, this recovering from this accident. 
And uh, Gary, Gary Beers, so good they named him twice, said that during the recording of uh, Full Moon, Dirty Hearts, Michael Hutchins threatened and physically confronted every single member of the band while they were recording it, which is something uh, they'd never done before. Like, they'd always got on pretty well. I mean, that, he said that had fights, but nothing to the extent of this one. All because he couldn't taste his food. Well, he was just saying after that crash, it was just so much and it was the whole being frustrated by not being able to taste and smell mm. and all that kind of stuff. That is strange. Yeah. But uh, this uh, was the, didn't chart in America, this song. That kind of, even though the others, like he was huge, huge star in uh, six years ago with um, Kick and uh, the album after that. But this one, no, nah, did nothing. He was on the way out. And ah. totally on the way out at the, was it the 94, even maybe 96 Brits where Noel Gallagher was presented with an award for best new band. Maybe it must have been 94 then. And Michael Hutchins was the presenter. And Noel Gallagher said, has-beens should not be presenting awards to gunnabees. No. Yeah. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And oh, cringe. Michael Hutchins really, really hated that and uh, knew that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm no, longer, no longer the new thing. Oh, that's sad. It is sad. Especially, I didn't know any of that. Yeah. You know now, what I mean? I, yeah. Yeah. Now that we know he's no longer here, it makes it even sadder that he didn't get to, you know, have a, yeah. another, because he, in excess, clearly wanted to keep going as a band. They've had like four, five uh, replacement singers for Michael Hutchins, but you just, you can't really replace him. No, no. I don't, I don't know any of that. I just, I just know that band from, my my parents liking it and then yeah. me just loving it like the the first kind of rock edgy music that i was introduced to and i just thought it was so good yeah i look i've seen the clips of their live baby live when they played wembley stadium and it's like eighty thousand yeah. people and it looks incredible and michael hutchins as a front man is incredible like you just go yeah, yeah there's no denying that he's like eighty thousand people in the stadium are all going to want to look at you like you yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, moving on. Two more songs to go. Now, this one, first woman on the list. It's absolutely That's... been a cock forest so far. Yeah, <laughs> cock forest. And even, even the one woman we had wasn't even credited as her own name. It was Mrs. Loud. Uh, oh, man. But this is Melissa Etheridge and her song, I'm the Only One. That's cool. Oh, 
Oh, that guitar is wicked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's got some pipes. Oh, my God. I'm loving that. You know what? Like, I was when I was playing, I was like, we've had a lot of men singing about dark stuff, like going to hell and back, not being yep. able to look at an angel. But she's the first person who actually sounds like she's been through that. Yes. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so real, the sound of her voice, compared to everything else. Well, in the chorus, when it keeps going up and up, you think, oh, it's going to break at some point. It's, it's Yeah. It's, Amazing. I think she's got an amazing voice. Uh, so this is from her six-time platinum album, Yes I Am. Uh, it was released as a single, didn't do that great. Then she released Come To My Window, which did do great. And so they went, you know what, I reckon I'm the only one. We'll have another crack. And so they re-released yeah. it and it became her highest-selling single ever. Uh, charted number eight in the States. And uh, yeah, and so Melissa Etheridge... Huge, huge star yeah. in the 90s, especially, uh, I think, one of the very few openly gay performers, uh, female performers, uh, I yeah. should point out. We talked about this with Katie Lang a few weeks ago. Uh, so it was that thing of like, there was, you know, quite openly gay men and in music, yeah. but gay, gay women hadn't really been like elevated to like superstar status. Yeah. Yeah, and so Katie Lang, That's, Melissa Etheridge, around this time, really pushing pushing that forward. I've never heard of her. That is, I'm going to listen to her album, definitely. Yeah. Uh, she's also an Oscar winner. First first oh, person really? on, the, on the list to, to win an Oscar, yeah, uh, for her song I Need to Wake Up, which uh, she won in 2006 because it was in An Inconvenient Truth. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I love this woman. I'm going to listen to her stuff. That's, that's great. Yeah, and so there's... Uh, the song, I'm the Only One, deals, this is what it says on the Wikipedia, deals with a non-monogamous relationship. In the verses, the singer tells how much she suffers because her partner desires someone else. And in the chorus, the singer reminds her partner that even if her partner is in a new relationship, the singer will always be the only one who really loves them with a passion. There you go. It's a polyamorous anthem. Yeah. Love All right. it. I love it. I We're love both it. fans. We're both fans. That's good. Yeah, right. I'm a fan of that. This is our last song. I think you're going to be a fan of this one too. Another Woman. Who's very, very popular at the minute. This is yes. Kate Bush and her song, Rubber Band Girl from The Red Shoes. Oh, this is cool. Oh, 
There we go. Oh, my words. Yes. It's so good. That is so Yeah, that's the best. That's the best so far. Yeah, I I agree. That is so good. Now, this is from her album, The Red Shoes. Yeah. Released in November in 93. Uh, Sad time for her uh, before the release of this album. Her her mother had passed away. Uh, She'd um, broken up with her musical collaborator, collaborator, uh, who she was also in a relationship with. Uh, and yeah, but she put this out and it was, uh, not, look, it's not the hugest hits. Like people don't really think about the red shoes albums of, uh, Kate Bush. They more think about the 80s stuff. I didn't know this about Kate Bush. She was the first woman in the UK to get a number one song that they actually wrote themselves. Yeah. Was that? Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Yeah. That's mad. Which she wrote when she was like a teenager. And the record label didn't want to put it out as a single, and she fought hard for it to be a single as like an eighteen-year-old. Wow! Yeah, she stood her ground, and I went, oh, "Okay." Also, uh, Kate Bush, her real name's Catherine Bush, and but people called her Kathy, which is also the lead in uh, Wuthering Heights. Uh... She's also born on the same day as Emily Bronte. All these connections, but she said she'd written the song without fully having finished the book Wuthering Heights. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's, that's quite a me thing to do, to be honest. I do that a lot. I think that's quite a high school thing as well. I'll finish the book yeah. before I actually finish reading the book. Yeah, definitely. Like I always get inspired by a book a couple of pages in, and I'm like, I'm going to write about this. I'm going to write a song about this book or anything. Yeah. And I, sometimes I don't even finish the book. But Now, there's a lot of mythology about Kate Bush. Some of it's true, some of it's not true. Unfortunately, one thing that's not true, this is a big myth that went around. That So after this album, she had 12 years off doing any music. She uh, yeah. raised a family, raised a son. And uh, an executive from EMI went around to the flat, went around to her house to see what she'd been working on. And she goes, oh, I've been working on this and showed him some cakes that she'd made. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not a true story. She's oh, debunked no. that. She goes, no, I never did that. That's, yeah. <laughs> so someone from EMI just said that. to Yeah. But, um, but this is what is true. So... She got her, her first advance from EMI, and so she spent it on mime and dancing classes. Yeah, cool. So that's great. Uh, her dancing teacher was the same as David Bowie's dance teacher as well. Ah, right. They, yeah, yeah they're, very, they're very similar artists, though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, different amount of output. Big Boy from Outcast is a huge, huge fan of Kate Bush. Cool. And he once spent a month in London just trying to meet her. That was the whole purpose of going to London. I just want to try and meet Kate Bush, which he did. He got he got a meeting. And this is the big one. She, she's responsible for the headset mic. You know how everyone calls it like the Madonna mic? Or yeah. The, yeah. It was Kate Bush who actually came up with it because she wanted to dance on stage. And so her sound engineer rigged one up for her using a coat hanger. And it was the first time anyone had ever done anything like that. Wow. wow. She's a real pioneer. Yeah. Yeah, she said, I want to be able to dance and have my hands free. So get the microphone out of my hands. You know what? That probably changed so much of pop, that one decision. Yeah, absolutely. So Janet Jackson had it. Madonna had it. Britney Spears had it. All all these pop stars go, right, we're going to have the hands free. That is amazing. That's like the same as the mobile phone being invented, but for microphones and dancers. Well, you know, Paula Abdul has her own, like, a microphone stand that she has, which has a, a round bottom. So if it falls over, it springs back up. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. That's cool. I need that for my kids. Just Yeah. All right. So that is 
That's Rubber Band Girl by Kate Bush from the album The Red Shoes. Yeah. Big fan. I, I think we've, we've ended strong here. Now, Jimmy, I asked this yeah. at the end of every single episode. Yeah. We, they call it 100% hits. But what percent of hits would you give it? This oh. is easy because this is the first time we've had 10 songs. Okay, this. Oh, thank you, because I'm really bad at maths. Um, yeah. I would give it. I, I, would go, say, I can go through. Let's go through them again. We had. I'll do a hit for yeah. love by Meatloaf. Hit. 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 Sold or squeeze by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Not a hit. Creep by Radiohead. Oh, yeah, hit. Oh I, no, no. Yeah. I would say undeniably a hit. Okay. I, even <laughs> though, even though I'm not the biggest fan of it, I would say, yeah, okay. people will undeniably say it's a hit. hit. Yeah. Woman yeah. with Soul by the Cruel Sea. I haven't heard the whole song, but the minute or so I heard was a hit. Tears of a Clown by Caligula. Oh, massive hit. <laughs> plush, massive by, hit. plush by the Stone Temple Pilots. Nah, failed. Missed. Into Your Eyes by the Lemonheads. Yeah, hit. The Gift by In Excess. Hit. I'm the Only One, Melissa Etheridge. Hit. And Rubber Band Girl. Double hit. 80%. Oh. 80%. I think that's the highest we've had, Jimmy. Well, I'm known for being enthusiastic about music. I, I you look, know that. I also think this is the best best crop of songs as well. Yeah, you you your first episode from '91. There were some shocking songs on there. Yeah. Yep. There were some bad. I really liked the one "Everybody's Still Having Sex." So I thought that was yes. great. <laughs> I thought that was such a good song. But the difference between '91 and '93. I know. Big, and big and this jump. this is going into '94. What we're going to come into, listeners is Kurt Cobain's going to die and a lot of people are going to make songs in response to that. So it's going to get okay. quite sad over the next couple of episodes. Just just, yeah. a, just a heads up. Just a heads up. Yeah, prepare yourselves. That, yeah. That, you are falling down that mountain for the next couple of episodes. I'd yeah. say we're at the top of the mountain right now. Yes. And as Tech said, the only way is down. Now, Jimmy, where can people find you? Where can people listen to your music? Um, you can listen to my music on Spotify. Uh, Bandcamp. I'm in a band called the Vega Bodegas at the moment. I'm working on some new things, uh, which is almost like a solo thing. I don't oh, really know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just working on some stuff. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for for new music and stuff. But the Vega Bodegas on Spotify. That's and, the best place, probably. And also, let's talk about Running Punks and your running yes. reviews. Yes. Uh, yeah. Go on. Go on. I was going to say. So for those who don't know, Jimmy does this thing on YouTube where he, he runs to an album that he hasn't heard before and reviews it as he runs. Yes. Is that, is it, yeah. is that a good way to explain it? That is, I think that's the only way to explain right. it. It's kind of like, the, I explain it like, um, if you watch a cookery show, it'll make your mouth water. I make your ears water by that's, explaining music. That's That's good. what I do. So I get you to like, oh, wow, that, that sounds like an exciting album. I want to do it. That's what I do. Excellent. Because I, I, I sometimes run to podcasts and people are like, how can you run to a podcast? I'm like, oh, it's just any noise to distract me from, from the actual thing of running. Yeah, I think like, it's, do you know what? It's, I, I find podcasts sometimes make me take my run too seriously because every time I listen to a podcast, I want to get home because I feel like I take something away from the podcast and I want to get home. Yeah. To like, so if I was running, listen to this, I'd want to get home to investigate the, the music more. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, choose, oh. choose something that makes you want to stay out running. If you're running to this, the, your splits where you listen to creep, very, very low, very slow, very slow. Very, that's a very slow kilometer for you there. Definitely. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for doing this, Jimmy. 
No problem. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone, who's Patreon subscribers. Thanks for keeping the lights on. You guys are the absolute best. I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.